On this day in 1977, the Eagles release the Hotel California track from the Eagles album of the same name. The song has entered our cultural consciousness, hasn't it? It's become absorbed into the wider culture around the world. We are programmed to receive. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave, Eli Matthewson. Although it looks like you've checked out already. You are completely unmoved by the song. Well, it's just taking me back to a few parties that I went to where everyone's drinking kind of Woodstocks and Cody's in Christchurch. That's the that's where that party that song is taking me. Cody's in a garage. And it's not a good memory. No, just it's not leave a good it memory. there. It's a, it's a good yeah. song, but for me personally, well, I, I just I, I forget. I don't know about you, Julia, if you're a fan of the song, because I go through phases of hating it when I hear it in a supermarket or the petrol station or whatever. But then I think actually it is so emblematic. It's so iconic. I can't help but love it at the same time. Are you a lover or a hater of Hotel California? Text me two one zero one, Julia. Oh, so was it? I didn't hear the song you played. So it oh, it's, a, it's, it's yeah, it's a song called Hotel California by a band called the Eagles. Oh yeah, funny enough, I've heard of them actually. <laughs> um, yeah, like, anyway. like probably that's not one of my favourite songs of theirs, but I do, I love them. I will, yeah. and I mean, there's a couple left now, isn't there? Mike says it's one of the best duet guitar solos ever, and uh, absolutely the guitar solo. Guitar's beautiful. Oh, isn't it? Joe mm. Walsh and someone else? Is it Don Henley? Anyway, someone will know. It is 24 to 5. You're on the panel. RNZ National, Eli Matthewson and Julia Hartley-Moore with me this afternoon. Calls for rural Marae to have more civil defence funding for disasters. Te Matapihi, an independent voice for the housing sector to assist in Māori housing policy, they want the government to provide funding to Māori first responders such as Marae. So to pick up the issue, we have Te Kurawai Holder or Hauraki Chief Executive Tammy Deha. Tammy, kia ora, good to have you on. Uh, kia ora, kia ora it's, it's interesting, isn't it, Tammy, because we have seen, haven't we, how local marae have really stepped up. You've got the, for example, the Gisborne District Council list, list, listing 30 welfare centres for those in need, and that list dominated by marae. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's it's also important to acknowledge that not only with Marae, but with the groups, with the Manaki Te Kainga of Taramainuku, which is one group of Māori communities that come together just to do what they need to do to respond and help their families within their communities. So, you know, it's, there is an expectation that Māori will respond, of which they do, but it's just giving them their acknowledgement for them being first responders and not just taking advantage of something that we consider as part of the normal for tikanga Māori. So this is more in terms of those community groups and entities that just do it out of the will, you know, in nature, not 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 necessarily from the providers like such as ourselves. Right, yeah, I mean, some of the stories coming up were quite extraordinary, as you were saying, Tammy. You know, it's uh, this, this is just what happens. Uh, Marae uh, communities rallying round. Uh, there was one area, I think, that, uh, you know, got in three tonnes of fish to help feed feed people quite something. Um, so what support are they offered, if any, from civil defence, local or central government? Well, 
I guess if you take it from that, the, the support is recognised, but usually after the events have occurred. And what the call-out is here is for that recognition to be prepared for yet another occurrence, so that we're not having to be on the front foot or, or the last foot, if you can say, when when extreme weather conditions come through. And so if we use the likes of, uh, you know, of Parehauraki or the Thames Coromandel Peninsula part of Parehauraki, you know, we've had four events uh, since the month of January, six mm. since November 2022. So, you know, you would hope that uh, taking the learnings from there, that we would start preparing these communities where they do become isolated, where slips do occur either side of them, that they're actually prepared for those events and recognised for the efforts that go into this, as opposed to hoping that they'll do well during that time um, and then coming through to support. Because, you know, although we acknowledge the, the food parcels, you know, these groups have acknowledged the food parcels from our iwi trust board, um, also the, you know, the medical and welfare support from the likes of ourselves as Te Korowai Hauru Hauraki, um, what 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 uh, we hadn't yet planned for properly was the fact that the power was going out and it was for several days that they didn't have access to petrol stations, you know, to to operate generators and things like that. So having yeah. and acknowledging their their contribution as first responders is to ensure that they're prepared just like first responders. Sure, Tammy. Yeah, and just finally before we leave you, so. Uh, where to go on this? What are your concerns in the coming weeks following Gabrielle and what could government do more up front right now to help Marae? So I guess in terms of if we look at where there is funding available now that the, you know, the government has acted, but that's more in response to the damages now. What we would like to see is in terms of the recognition of groups like this, as first responders and actually preparing them before another event is to occur, right? And it's not just for the event of, you know, um, uh, bad weather or extreme weather. It's for all natural disasters because, you know, we just need to be realistic around how things are uh, are happening within our environment. And it is very, you know, likely that um, marae and Māori community groups will be expected to do what they just do naturally mm. from a Māori perspective. Nice to have you on, Tammy. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you. That is Tammy Deha there, uh, Te Korowai Haura or Hauraki Chief Executive on uh, giving more uh, funding for disasters. Uh, so, yes, indeed. Uh, very interesting stuff. 18 to 5, you are on the panel on RNZ National. And, yeah, look, a big response to this already. And they, as Wallace says, David, do not bash the landlords too hard for the rent increases. We made a decision to hold our tenants' rent at 420 a week a few years ago, but $200 per week of this goes out on rates, insurance and maintenance. Rates are 90 bucks a week, insurance 55 a week, and maintenance around 55 a week, depending on what's needed. Then there's tax and you start to wonder, hey, is it worth it? With a mortgage, it wouldn't be for us. Uh, so your big response, so look, don't bash the landlords, please, Wallace, in your conversation. And look, just as a disclaimer, uh, well, I'm a landlord, and uh, have I put the rents up? Uh, I haven't put the rent up in seven years. 
not quite sure if that's a wise decision or not, but uh, there we have it. There's my disclaimer. So to this, uh, some grim news for renters. The national median price for rentals is at an all-time high of 595 bucks a week. The latest figures from January markup mark a $25 jump when compared to the same month in 2022. The median is even higher in Wellington at 660 bucks a week. $630 in Auckland and 615 in the Bay of Plenty. With us is Gavin Lloyd, Trade Me Property Sales Director. Gavin, welcome. Wallace. This is after rental prices stagnated for a while? Yeah, this is, it marks a bit of a change for us. Um, we, we sort of see that, that number sitting around about that 580 um, for a good of three or four months and, and saw a bit of movement in December and it has uh, reached a, a record high uh, in the month of January. Uh, regional figures, because uh, you've got the regional breakdowns, uh, what are we looking at? Where's, where's the biggest? Yeah, three regions really stand out. Uh, Northland, uh, 16% up year on year. Uh, Taranaki, up 14%. And then if you look at the uh, lower North Island, Manawatu and Huanganui, up 13%. So those are the three areas that really stand out for us in terms of that year-on-year change. 16% Eli, year-on-year. Who can afford that? That's just so much. And how can you ever... Like, because the thing is, I'm getting practical here. What what happens is you might get an email or a call from uh, the management agency or the landlord saying, "Look, just a heads up, we're going to increase it next year." And you go, "What again?" Because you increased it last year and the year before that. And go, "Sorry, there are prices." It, it it comes to a point where you go, "Well, what can I do?" Especially when in the context of all all your foods twice the price it was a few years ago as well. You know, like everything's going up at once, so you just like the idea of ever seeing the end of paying rent is so gets further and further and further away. Um, I feel very fortunate finally at 34, I've got my own house last year, but like the feeling of no longer all that money going to someone else for every house that I live in is a very rewarding um, thing. And I feel very fortunate, but it's just, yeah, I don't know how, how you meant to get, get past that. Okay. Stay there, Gavin. Let's bring in Julia. Well, interesting enough, a friend of mine has just been looking at renting because the rent went up so much where she was that she had to move out. Um, and she was saying it was demoralizing. She was looking because of the, the the houses she were looking at she was looking at were just over six hundred a week. Um, and she looked in all areas and she said, "Look from filthy toilets. like the places had been some of them been cleaned well, but the toilets actually the toilet bowls were black. The carpeting was absolutely shocking. Um, it, there was just so much that was wrong with these places and they were wanting 600 and something a week for them. So, yeah. you know, it's taken her ages to find something. She has found something, but she's had to pay more. Okay. Now, uh, Gavin, what about supply? What are we seeing here? Yeah, actually, January kind of uh, changed a little bit for us. So we've, we've gone through a period of about 10 months in a row where we've seen significant supply jumps. And in January, actually, this came back by 1%. Um, so quite a, a shift um, there. Well, sorry, only a 1% year-on-year increase. So um, quite a bit of a shift there on the supply side of things. And, and I think that's a bit of a precursor um, to, to what we're probably going to see in the next couple of months, predominantly in that Auckland market where we've had some significant weather events and, and, 
and obviously elsewhere in the country, I think the supply side of things is going to start coming back a bit. Okay, and in terms of larger properties, what sort of money are we seeing for the larger properties? Yeah, I guess you for your for your family, the the, the four, the five bedroom plus. Yeah, the five-bedroom um, property has actually reached an all-time high in January as well, and it cracked a thousand-dollar mark for the a first. A thousand bucks. Yeah, that's that's up eight percent year on year. Holy! All right, Gavin. Got up. Thank you for your time. That's Gavin Lloyd there uh, from the Trade Me Property Sales Director. Uh, that is uh, that's a lot of money, isn't it? That's a oh, lot, and it feels like it's happened fast. You know, I think I was living on Dryden Street in Grey Lynn for. Hundred and fifteen dollars a week, you really? know, like a few. A wee it's while not that ago. long ago, right? Yeah, not that long ago. I think the whole flat was seven hundred, but there was five or six of us in there. So, okay, look, uh, yeah. keep 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 up keep us up to date on the particular issue. And, and again, if you are uh, a landlord or property management company, uh, what are you doing about this? Um, and uh, very keen to get your stories as well. And I do believe we have someone who is it, Ian, on the phone. No. Who's on the phone here? Leslie. Leslie, Leslie how are you, Leslie? And oh, thank, uh, you, thank you. Yes, yes. You want to talk to us about Hotel California? Well, I think you wanted to talk to me, but yeah, I'm, I'm having to talk to talk to I, you about it. I, I, I'm dying to talk to you about it because we had so many responses uh, about it. Ian, for example. Uh, said, Wallace, absolutely love it. In fact, if I had to hear one song day in, day out, every day for the rest of my life, Hotel California would be the one. What about you? Tell us your story. Yeah, no, I I love it. You know, I was um, a 70s student in Dunedin, and by the way, I paid $6.50 um, a week rent. You know, <laughs> someone else paid $12. <laughs> I see. For the year, which oh. is crazy, it's in the early 70s. Um, yeah, but um, you know, I loved it then in the 70s. But as 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 a as an adult, and we had a um, a young family when we used to go travelling um, up north. I live in Christchurch now, and I remember my stepson had Luca. He had the most amazing memory, and he was I don't know maybe. 10 or 12 years old, and he knew every verse of Hotel California. And, you know, there's a lot of verses. There's a lot of verses. I guess why I'm interested in it, because um, this is why. There are very few songs on this earth written that I can give you one or two words and you'll know what it is. If I say to you, Joanne, on a dark desert highway... You know what it is, right? Yeah, totally. It's amazing. Yeah, and just the introduction to it. You know, you know straight away, like many, so many songs, the first two bars of a chord, you know the song, what it's going to be. Yeah. Very good, Joanne. Well, thank you for your time. Thanks for um, uh, your, 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 your call on the panel. You're welcome. Bye, bye. I'll see you. Very good. Uh, 10 to 5. Uh, yeah, another one here. Forever Now by Cold Chisel has a way better riff, in my opinion. Um, I was also paying $210 a week in rent for seven years, and that included a monitored alarm and water in Onihanga. My landlord never got a house inspection, but on the last day when I moved out, he said the place looked better than when I moved in. <laughs> good tenor. <laughs>
This is like a tenant CV. I treated it like my own and I painted it myself. And I guess it's where I come from where I said I've never raised uh, the rent in seven years because mm. in a sense that philosophy, uh, Julia and Eli, it's their home. And yeah. you have wonderful tenants and it's make sure that they treat it as if they own it. It's their home. What do you reckon? Yeah, you want it to be the kind of relationship where you're both treating each other well and neither of you is resenting each other, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, on the subject of, uh, I've got to say this, moisturiser, um, because there has been quite a response rumbling away through. Rod says, I use rice bran oil. It works a treat. Wow. Rod, you've got to get there on TikTok. Go. That'll, be a, that'll be a viral beauty trend, I reckon. Yeah. Rice bran oil. I've got to try that tonight. We've got some in the cupboard. Um, and Julia, Susan says, the very best thing for your skin is actually Vaseline, 100%. Is Susan right, Julia? Well, look, I don't know about Vaseline, but she could very well be. Who am I to say what Susan knows and I don't? But the thing is, I think I'm right in saying it's it's just putting a bit of moisture into your skin, but it's more what you do with the insides of your body. And if you smoke and drink and you have a crap diet, then you are going to look, especially when you get older, right? It's going to show. You're going to see see it on your face when you're older. All right. Eight away from five, you're on the panel, RNZ National, Julia Hartley-Moore and Eli Matthewson with me today. And finally, to this, this uh, news has been rumbling about in the last two or three weeks, hasn't it? Experts are warning that there'll be a flurry of UFI sightings after three flying objects were shot down by US authorities in less than a two-week period. While one has since been confirmed to be a Chinese balloon, the jury is still out on the other three, and various news outlets have covered this phenomenon of actually there's been more... UFO sighting with us is American medical sociologist, journalist and author, Dr. Robert Bartholomew. Dr. Bartholomew, welcome to the panel. Well, thank you. And has there been a big increase in sighting since the U.S. shot down these unidentified flying objects? Well, I predicted it would trigger a UFO wave, and it has done that. I recently contacted the largest UFO organization in the United States, the Mutual UFO Network, who told me that by mid-February, now the object was shot down, uh, I think the 4th of February, by mid-February there had been 558 UFO reports in the U.S. alone, compared with 489 for all of the previous month for January. So that's about a, a two-fold increase. That's quite something. And explain more about why that is. Well, I wrote a book on the history of UFO sighting waves, and there was a clear pattern to outbreaks. And you could see this coming from a mile away or a kilometer away, to use the New Zealand term. Um, the recipe for a UFO wave begins with a sensational report, which receives widespread media coverage after which residents began to scrutinize their environment for evidence of similar objects. Ordinarily, most people don't pay close attention to their surroundings, but during these waves, clusters of sightings often pop up because people start to over-scrutinize their surroundings and notice things they ordinarily wouldn't. And, of course, 
human perception is notoriously poor. It's well known in legal circles that many people who have been convicted on eyewitness testimony um, were later exonerated with DNA evidence only to have been executed. And so during these waves, a rustling in the bushes becomes a Bigfoot. The wake of a boat is mistaken for the Loch Ness Monster, and Venus is taken for a UFO. Goodness. Uh, hey, Robert, we have a panel with us. They might want to jump in about uh, this phenomenon. That's very interesting what you say there. Julia, I don't know whether or not you've seen any unidentified phenomena in your neck of the woods. No, I have to say I haven't. But I do believe that, I, I think it'd be naive to say there's nothing there. Um, but I do know what, what Robert is saying and that just everybody, it becomes magnified. Everyone thinks, like, like he was saying, that the rustle in the woods is, is Bigfoot and things like that because you become hypervigilant and hypersensitive. Yes. That's, that's obviously what happens. But I think, I think, you know, you have to say, I don't think we're alone. Oh, the big questions on the panel. Gosh, that's a whole topic. <laughs> are, we are we alone? Dr. Bartholomew, are we alone? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm not smart enough to answer that, but I can tell you there was a famous instance of a UFO wave here in New Zealand back in July and August and September of 1909 when residents began to see German zeppelins in the sky. The sightings happened during a war scare while there was a fear of war between Germany and Great Britain breaking out. A rumor spread in 1909 that Germany might attack a vulnerable British outpost. And I'm not exaggerating. There were hundreds of sightings involving tens of thousands of witnesses. I have on my desk next to me a box of UFO reports from 1909. It was a massive event. Hang on. We're getting you back on and in studio to talk about these thousands of sightings in the early 1900s in New Zealand, possibly of German Zeppelins. That I have never, ever heard, Eli. I've never heard of that, but I've got to say, I think I'm the sort of person who would be susceptible. Even the discussion we're having now, I'm thinking I'm probably going to see a UFO tonight. Let's <laughs> put it in my head. I'm going to look up to the stars. I'm going to be calling in an official report. So stay tuned. Do you, do you feel that you have that susceptibility? Are you, is your mind open enough? I think so, and I have. I think in Paia I was there once, and I looked up and saw something wild, and then the next day someone said it was a drone, but I'm sticking, I'm sticking to UFOs. <laughs> Very good, uh, Dr. Bartholomew. Would you mind actually coming in one day and, uh, and, and, and unpacking for us those uh, historic sightings in the, in the early 1900s? Yeah, and can I also mention that yeah. during the 1880s and 1890s, there were sightings, many sightings, of giant crocodiles in the Waikato River. That is absolutely true. And the speculation is that it was possibly seals back to back. But uh, if you look up on papers past, you'll see dozens of reports from that period. My goodness me, that is something else. Dr. Bartholomew there. Let's go out with a little bit of Hotel California, Julia Hartley Moore, Eli Matthewson. Nice to have you on the panel. Fantastic stuff. I'm Wallace Chapman. Thanks to my producer, Charlie Drever. Checkpoint with Lisa Owen next. I'm back tomorrow, Thursday, 3.45. See you then. Welcome.